Hi again, this is John Snyder for The Walk. Our guest for today is Dr. John Lennox, Emeritus Professor of Mathematics at Oxford University, internationally renowned speaker. He's also author of many books and the go-to person on the issue of science and faith. Dr. Lennox has debated some of the world's most prominent atheists, names you'll remember and recognize, including people like uh, Richard Dawkins, Christopher Hitchens, Peter Singer, and others. Lennox stands firm on the view that, in his own words, properly understood, the evidence inexorably points to the existence of a creator God. And most recently, a film about his amazing life and career is just about to be released, and it's entitled Against the Tide. I'm originally from Northern Ireland. My parents Christian, but interestingly enough, in that country, not sectarian. And uh, they loved me enough to give me space to think. They even went to the extent not only of opening a biblical worldview to me, but they also encouraged me to investigate other worldviews. And so from very early on, I was just interested in everything but particularly in the intellectual defense of Christianity as truth. I came across C.S. Lewis very early. And in one sense, I hit the ground running when I got to Cambridge in 1962. That's quite an advantage, coming to it with uh, C.S. Lewis. Wish I'd done that, wish I could have done that. Well, it's just an accident of history, but I did hear him give his last lectures. But it's the result of his books, really, that I found inspiring, particularly because I do not know what it's like to be an adult and an atheist or agnostic or anything else. And so in order to learn how atheists thought, I found Lewis to be an excellent guide. He was a great writer. Um, I wish I had had the opportunity to to meet him and hear him personally. He became a a uh, great hero of mine after I read him. And I thought, why didn't I know about this guy before? But uh, I was halfway through college before someone mentioned his name. Well, many people have had that experience. I heard him. I went to the last lectures he gave, but I never met him. So you were uh, raised in a Christian family, and you never really went through any uh, atheistic period or anything like that, apparently. No, not at all. Yeah, uh, My parents were credible. And that was very important. I could see Christianity working out in their lives and in difficult situation because the country is known, sadly, for sectarian violence. Yeah, that's right. And because my parents took the biblical view from Genesis that every man and woman, irrespective of worldview, is made in the image of God, they tried to employ in their store people from both the sides of the religious divide and that cost them bombing and my brother really killed and so on so they took a principal stance and that impressed me deeply they were obedient to scripture where it hurt i think probably that sort of thing goes deeper and lasts longer than uh, having a few arguments at the beginning right i watched my parents go through a lot of things and just just watch the faith being lived out in them and I, I re- that had more of an impact on me than, than, uh, than arguments. Of course, at the time, I didn't really know what Christian arguments were. You know, I didn't know there were any. <laughs> I didn't know we could even argue further. But uh, that came later. 
but I never forgot my parents' example. Let me ask this question here. You're, you're coming out with a movie, uh, Against the Tide. It's being released into the theaters in the U.S. on November 19. I've seen it two or three times. and uh, But what will happen after then, we're not certain. Okay. So it's not being released anywhere except the U.S. at this point? Not yet, no. Not okay. in Europe yet. But okay. I hope it will be, of course. Yeah, I do too. I, I've seen it. I previewed it, and uh, I loved it. So I, I hope it well, gets widely widely released. That's what I'm hoping for, praying for. Now, you've been involved in so many events and projects. Um, why, why make the film now? And uh, what was behind the making of the film? Well, the film, in a sense, was initiated by somebody else, and it was their timing and their decision. Steve Huff, who is the director of the Pensmore Foundation that was the main sponsor of the film, is a physicist and is very interested in the intellectual battle, if you like, between Christianity and naturalism that dominates the academy. And he read one of my books and came and looked me up in Oxford. And uh, we became friends because we found a lot in common. And in his home one time during a visit to the U.S., we saw the film God's Not Dead. I'd not seen it before. And to my utter amazement, the atheist professor in the film, acted by Kevin Sorbo, was defeated, so to speak, by a Christian using my arguments explicitly. Oh, how fun. That led to Steve Huff conceiving the idea of a film and went through all kinds of iterations, and we've ended up with Against the Tide. Well, that's great. Oh, that was a great movie, and I, I'm going to recommend it as widely as I can. Thank you. Uh, I wish they had such films when I was starting off college, but they, they didn't. Well, likewise, that's one reason for making it, because in a way it's unique because it combines both the issues believing in theism uh, against the opposition of hostile atheism, but it also deals with the Christian dimension, the specifically Christian dimension in terms of history in Israel and uh, experience. Yeah. And I think uh, thinking of American students going into college, very, very few are going to have any sort of inkling as to how you go about responding to the aggressive, it's really aggressive now, uh, atheism, agnosticism, just general hostility. And uh, I kind of got chewed up the first couple of years until I heard about Lewis. And then I began reading everything he wrote. And th- at that point, it began to respond a bit. But uh, I-, I think the film is great. Uh, there- there's so many fears still among Christians as to how to have a conversation about science and faith or or agnosticism or atheism. Uh, Why why is that, you think? I think possibly, well, there are many reasons. This is a generic question. I find such questions impossible to answer because it depends on the person asking it. But I think one of the main reasons is failure to engage one-on-one with people. I find one of the texts that really encourages me is where... The Apostle Peter says, always be ready to give an answer. That is a defense, apologia, to anyone that asks you a reason concerning the hope that is within you. And it was a long time before I observed that that verse is not about preaching. 
It's about the situation where someone asks you a question. In other words, it's one-on-one or small groups. And failure to engage one-on-one, I think, is the big stumbling block at the very entry level of this whole business of witnessing to our faith with confidence. And in fact, I've been asked this question so many times, I've actually written a small book on it called Have No Fear. Very practical little book, just giving folks ideas on how to overcome this fear barrier and the related problem of shame. And uh, I've been very encouraged by the response to that book. And we can get that book in any bookstore? Oh, easily ordered online. Have have no fear. Okay. Have no fear. That's right. All right. Yeah, I'll recommend that too. I'd like to read it. So many people I talk to are hesitant uh, even to talk about faith because of sense of, um, like you said, fear or shame or to be vulnerable to other people. And they might even be pretty hostile at the time. What would you say to someone who is in that position? I was there plenty, many years, um, not anymore, but uh, I think most of the students I talked to would be very reticent to even begin a conversation about God or faith. Yes. Well, I think one of the problems is the use of the word faith. You see, people uh, talk about faith all the time, but it's not faith in God. It's faith in the Red Sox or faith in British politics and all this kind of thing. And I think it's really important for Christians to realize that everybody is a person of faith in something. Mm -hmm. And the trouble is we use the word faith to mean several different things. And they are very different. We can use faith simply to mean religion or Christianity or Judaism. That's one use. Or we can use it to refer to faith that uh, the stock market is going to rise next week or faith in the British cricket team or faith in God and in Christianity. And I say to people, you must realize that we are people of faith in God and in Christ. Everybody else has a worldview that they believe in. And it's very helpful to bear that in mind because One of the troubles is that Christians very readily self-identify as people of faith by contrast with other people. And that plays into the atheist's hands because they won't accept that their worldview is a belief system. Richard Dawkins says exactly that. Uh, We have no faith. And yet he writes a whole book on what he believes. There's huge (laughs) confusion out there. Yeah. I think we need to plunge in there and find out from people what they believe about the big questions of life. And so I've had to discipline myself never to use the word faith without faith in whatever I'm talking about. Faith in what? Faith in God, faith in science. Right. Because otherwise you're just isolating yourself because the new atheist redefinition of faith has Uh, really embedded itself in our contemporary culture. Faith is believing where there's no evidence. That's not faith. That's blind faith. And you hear that all the time, don't you, when you're hearing uh, atheists speak. They they have no idea that faith uh, in the New Testament was uh, considered an advanced form of knowledge. 
Uh, it but, is, and it's evidence-based. These yeah. things are written that you might believe. Here's the evidence. That's yeah. exactly the case, and it needs to be explained because people don't understand it. Yeah, that's right. I, I actually like talking about the, that faith to people because they're totally surprised to find out what faith meant when it was first translated into English, like 400 years ago or so, that it, was, um, it had been demoted between then and now. The, the words believe and faith have been demoted to a very low status when they were very high then. That's right. It yeah. comes from the Latin fides, yeah. fidelity, trustworthiness. Yeah. Yes, correct. Let's talk about do current scientific discoveries continue to strengthen your faith? The more you learn, I'm assuming this is the case, the more you learn, the stronger your faith gets, right? Well, uh, you mean the stronger my faith in God and not yeah. just in science. <laughs> right. Sure. Uh, Absolutely. You see, I don't believe in a God of the gaps, a God who's just there to explain things science has not yet explained. Right. I believe that God is the God of the whole show, the bits we understand, the bits we don't. And therefore, the more we get to understand, say, of how the universe works and what it's made of, the more we can admire the genius of the God that did it that way. You have a book recently on artificial intelligence. Yes, it's called 2084, Artificial Intelligence and the Future of Humanity. Can you give us, uh, just for the listener's sake, uh, a lot of them hear that phrase all the time, but they may not be able to to get a handle on it. What, what would you say is a brief summary of what artificial intelligence actually is? Well, I wrote the book to give people a handle on it. Uh, there are two kinds of artificial intelligence, and they get confused very easily. There's the kind that works and we ought to be familiar with from medicine, for example, uh, where you have an AI system that uh, typically consists of a very large database. Let's say it consists of a million photographs of lungs that have COVID-19 and various other lung diseases. And then there's a high-powered computer, <clears throat> and uh, an X-ray is taken of my lungs or yours, and they're put into the system. And very rapidly, the X-ray of my lungs is compared with the million pictures in the database, which have been labeled with their respective diseases. And so I'm told that I'm highly likely to have this particular disease. And at the moment, in many areas of medicine, the results of that kind of system are better than you'd get at your local hospital. Oh. And this is turning out to be extremely important and extremely useful. Then there are similar AI systems searching for vaccines for COVID-19. Mm -hmm. But as you proceed, and I'm thinking still of the AI that actually works at the moment, one of the buzz topics is surveillance technology, uh, pattern recognition, facial recognition. And that leads to all sorts of ethical questions yeah. about privacy. And uh, we can see abuse of that in certain countries in the world where it's used. AI is being used to suppress people. This isn't futuristic. It's actually here now. It was futuristic when 1984 was written by George Orwell, but it's not futuristic when 2084 was written by me. Yeah. So there's the AI that works. Some of it's good, 
Some of it is very questionable and some of it is positively dangerous. And so I encourage bright young Christians who are scientifically uh, <clears throat> inclined to get involved in research in this because we need people to do the good work, but also who understand it from the inside and are able to comment and help shape the ethics. But then there's a second kind of AI, artificial general intelligence, AGI, and that's the quest for super intelligence, or to quote a book with which I interact in my book, uh, Homo Deus by the Israeli historian Harari, his idea is that biogenetic in engineering and so on will turn us all into gods in the future. And that's highly speculative, but it's a topic dealt with in scripture. And that's why I engage with it in some considerable detail to just tell people out there what is going on. And it's sufficiently scary to worry some very clever minds, not just of Christian believers, but yeah. mainly of atheists. But we need to be able to evaluate it because there's an immense amount of hype. A lot of the stuff we're nowhere near achieving, although people think it's just around the next corner. Yeah. Uh, so the comes of the real promise on the one hand and a warning on the other, doesn't it? Correct. Like everything, every, well, like every, every new invention, right? Like a knife, a really sharp knife is good for cutting in surgery and it yeah. can be used as a murder weapon. Yeah. Almost like every invention that ever happened, right? Uh, Correct, yes. As a promise a and a warning. Minus, but we need not to be afraid of it, but to evaluate it. What would you say the best preparation for someone going into the university these days, which is really more of a jungle now than I've ever seen in my lifetime. Um, what is your advice for entering Christians going into the university? Depends entirely who they are. But clearly, I encourage people to do as much reading and thinking ahead of the game before they go into university, because the statistics of People dropping out from their profession of Christianity, particularly in the U.S., are absolutely staggering. Yeah, that's right. And that tells me that the churches are failing to do a job. Now, I'm making a sweeping statement. Some churches are very good. But in the United Kingdom, the major reason people give for turning their backs on the church is they don't answer our questions. And parents ought to encourage their children to think and not just hide behind a television or a cell phone mm -hmm. or a tablet or computer, but get involved in discussion with their kids because otherwise the danger is they'll lose them because they walk into an adult world where the tide is swimming absolutely against them. And one of the reasons for making the film was just to get across the issues that they will meet in university from day one. And I hope the film will become a preparation for some of them. Mm -hmm. When we, our girls were, were young, little, uh, we talked about everything with them. I mean, uh, not every, exactly everything, but whenever we had a struggle in the church or there was some issue that came up or a theological question, uh, we talked with them about it as much as they could understand. So they were That's raised. Right. They That's were raised the hearing about theology and about uh, questions and and problems. And now that they're adults, they uh, they can handle just about anybody. 
Uh, exactly. Not, because we, we talked to them, we prayed with them, and we discussed issues and struggled through things with them. That was a huge advantage for them, I think. I think that's true. Yeah. And a lot of parents allow their children to be entertained by the media. I sometimes say when I'm speaking to church leaders, we need to start practicing serious electronic fasting and get back to talking. <laughs> Oh, boy. I have a friend here in Germany who's a professor of psychiatry. His whole work in life is to show how the electronic world, especially we give to children, actually damages their ability to learn. Uh, the cognitive abilities are destroyed before they even get to college. And, yes, uh, that's like the work of Sherry Turkle in the U.S. at MIT. Yeah. Well, it's, it's really, I hear a lot about it, but for some reason it doesn't filter down into the... Um, popular media media unfortunately yeah just uh my thought here is that the general question is where are we going i mean so many the, the world has changed so fast and so rapidly so um profoundly just in the last year um and i'm beginning to think that the book of daniel might be the primary text for the church uh if we're if we're on our way to some sort of uh, cultural captivity where do you see Western Christianity going at this point, from what you would... It's very, it's very interesting that you mention the book of Daniel. I don't know whether you're aware of it, but precisely for that reason, I have written a book on Daniel relating it to the contemporary culture. And uh, there's been a huge response to it uh, around the world. So it's called Against the Flow, not Against the Tide, but Against the Flow. Against the Flow. And there are so many lessons from ancient Babylon where what happened to Daniel, and this is the interesting thing, he was physically transported geographically from a tiny little monotheistic culture to the big, big world of Babylon, which was polytheistic, it was brilliant, it was full of all kinds of ideas, but totally different, different language, different laws, different everything. And what has happened to us is we haven't been transported physically, but we have remained in the same place and the culture has changed around us. Been colonized, so, hasn't it? That's right. I use the book of Daniel as a way into this, but it would take far too long to discuss that. Yeah. But I would certainly encourage people who are interested because I wrote this primarily for young folks about to go to college. I can see why. I've been thinking for a couple of years that uh, this is going to be the book of the future for the church because I don't I see it getting better. Right. No, it isn't. But uh, when you ask me where are things going, I just cannot tell, yeah. except for the broad sweep of things that yeah. uh, Scripture warns us. And Daniel starts that warning that they move towards the deification of human beings and uncontrolled power and totalitarianism is going to increase. It's blipped up and down in history. And Paul talks about this in the book of Revelation, talk about it. And I deal with it in considerable detail, both in my book on artificial intelligence and in my book on Daniel. Any final thoughts that you want to impart to our, to our listeners that you, that's on your heart? Well, I think that for Christians, the major battle is confidence. And it shows itself at all kinds of levels. But the, the basic confidence is confidence in God, 
mediated through scripture. And what I try to encourage people to do is, especially if they're young, college students and so on, if you want to prepare yourself for life, you need to make decisions what your values are and spend quality time getting to know the Word of God. Because if you don't, you'll be absolutely swept away by the incoming tide of secularism. been listening to Emeritus Professor of Mathematics, Dr. John Lennox of Oxford University. It's been a great pleasure to talk with him today, and we strongly encourage you to try to see his upcoming film, Against the Tide. You can find it online at againstthetide.movie. Thanks for tuning in today. I hope you'll watch for other great guests coming up soon on The Walk. Again, this is your host, John Snyder. Bye for now. Bye for now.